0: Hi there, welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and I think you're pretty great for listening to this podcast, so thank you. Now, I have a little story to tell you. When I was still at Sheridan, I got to be part of a stop-motion group film with 10 other students. This was at the height of the pandemic, and so we weren't allowed on campus to use the professional stop-motion studio there. Instead, we had to come up with a story and pipeline to produce a full short film from our homes and the biggest issue is that none of us live together and we all lived across the country um and now before actual production began i actually left school to hop onto a tv show but in this chat i'm going to bring on some of my fellow classmates to share their experience of producing a stop-motion film collaboratively and remotely, something I haven't really heard of done before. The backgrounds are made by one person, shipped to somebody else, etc., etc. What's even crazier is that this film they produced is nine minutes long. It's called Cantastoria, and it is about a jovial puppeteer and her mice assistants recounting the fairy tale of Mona and Skip, a pair of traveling storytellers in search of an adventure on their own. This story is filled with creepy stuff, magic, fantasy, and some really fun and colorful characters. I've included a link to it in the description of this podcast. So please check it out. It's already been making the festival rounds and it is simply an amazing film. So today with me, I have four of the teammates from Cantastoria. There's Anna Herstad, a storyboard revisionist with Jamfield, whose recent grad film has also won a bunch of awards. It's also in stop motion, and she's a professional voice actor. There's also Heather Little, a recent Sheridan grad who's an animator and storyboard artist. Tony Therrien, a former Sheridan student who's working on a storyboard portfolio as we speak. And Stephen Belford, a storyboard and layout artist who has to his name the perfect apple pie recipe which he refuses to share with me. Now, before we get in to this really cool and extra special episode that I feel personally tied to, this episode is sponsored by Hue, makers of colorful plug-and-play cameras for learning, work, and play. Originally designed for teachers, Hue cameras can also be used for creative activities such as capturing hand-drawn pencil tests and shooting behind-the-scenes footage, time-lapse videos, and stop-motion animation, of course. Their cameras have flexible posable necks, manual focus controls, and they're compatible with DragonFrame, OBS, Twitch, Zoom, and many other camera apps. Visit hughhd.com to learn more, and follow at Hugh Cameras on social media for news, fun, and giveaways. And for a limited time only, Hugh has been super generous to give listeners of this podcast a 10% off code for any Hue camera purchases through amazon.com. So that's amazon.com, get 10% off with the code 10TERRYAIP, that's 10, my name Terry, an animation industry podcast, AIP. And I've included uh, the code in the description of this chat, so please check it out. And that is valid until July 19th, 2022. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the chat. Uh, Hello everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have all of you here. I of course know who you all are and uh, you're my former classmates, but why don't we go around the room and you know we you all finished up on this amazing stop motion group film project as part of Sheridan College's requirements to make an award winning film. Um, Why don't we go around and say you know your name and your involvement on the project.
1: Sounds good. Hi, I'm Anna Hairstad. Um, I was one of the production managers for Cantastoria. I was also the animation supervisor and the sound supervisor, but I kind of had my fingers in every single pie on the project. Um, I was also one of the voice actors. I played Skippy Joe.
0: Every single pie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Call me Georgie Porgy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. Uh, Heather, why don't you go next? Yeah. Hi there. I'm
2: Heather Little. I was a fabrication artist, animator, and storyboard artist
0: on Cantastoria. Uh, Tawny, you're up next.
3: Hey, uh, I did uh, my name is Tony Tarion. Uh, I did writing uh, storyboarding and fabrication um, yeah. with Heather uh, for Cantastoria.
0: <laughs> and last but not least
4: uh, Howie uh, I'm Stephen Belford. I was the layout supervisor on Cantastoria and I also worked on the story, the storyboards and the fabrication So. Actually, I animated one single mouse as well.
1: (laughs) And it was the best mouse in the film. (laughs) Uh
0: (laughs) I think it's crazy, like being in the professional world where you're brought into a stop motion production and it's like you like, for instance, well, I actually quit this project to take on a studio job in stop motion, which was really a super experience for me. But like coming off something like this where you're doing everything and then you come into a studio and you're you're you only sit there and just watch until like the puppet people have done their stuff, the lighting people have done their stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And your only job is to like one thing. It's, it's like so interesting to like, You know hear how many roles you actually had on this project and and which is crazy you're like doing everything so okay why don't we why don't we dial it back a bit like you know the inception of this film is part of like sheridan animation program's requirement to make a third year group film who wants to start on like how the stop-motion film actually came together because it's kind of a unique thing at sheridan to actually have a stop-motion group film because sheridan specializes in 2d rigged animation and hand-drawn animation and So who wants to share how that actually happens at Sheridan with, you know, (laughs) how it happened?
2: Well, and it was interesting, too, because it was also, you know, turn of the pandemic beginning of quarantine. And I know, for example, um, I think everyone had kind of a unique experience applying to be in the stop motion. Um, I know like me and Donnie had a unique experience of kind of being locked in an apartment together and uh you know building our little puppets and like learning how to do stop motion for the first time together and then also at the same time like kind of picturing and imagining these pitches and what you know we were going to bring to the table when it was time to
0: like suggest what to make and i don't know that was all really fun i found yeah it's 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 so like sheridan It's a requirement to make a group film in your third year. And then uh, if there's enough people applying to to do it in stop motion, then a stop motion group can happen. But like what you just said is super interesting to me because, you know, I I have some experience in stop motion before this, but uh, being in a predominantly 2D animation program and then the pandemic happening and then not having access to any of the stop motion resources or equipment at Sheridan College and then doing it like in your apartment, what compelled you to be like, you know what? Uh, we've been learning 2D animation for two years. Let's start stop motion and see how that happens and start it in our bedrooms. And like, what compelled you to kind of, you know, take this new twist in animation?
1: Well, for me personally, I um, was one of the reasons I actually went to Sheridan's because it's not a very common thing. Like it's, um, it's such a kind of a niche medium that a lot of schools don't really offer a comprehensive stop motion animation um, education experience. So for me, that was like I, I knew from day one that that's what I wanted to try, but I didn't actually get to try it until the uh, the portfolio we had to make for applying for this film.
4: Yeah, yeah. I think yep. a big, uh, you had to kind of find what you were passionate about at school. Like we have two years of working and touching like 3D and 2D, and everyone kind of gets a sense of it but stop mode isn't really a thing until third year. And I think a lot of us were really excited to get our hands on that because as part of the application process, you had to build like a puppet. You had to do like a little mini short film. There was lots of little stuff. So you kind of got to, to test the waters almost. And I think it was a lot of fun to put together that portfolio and be like, Oh, like I made like a little puppet in my room and now he's like talking and dancing or whatever. And then, you know, we all kind of came together and did, a uh, really fabulous
3: film so uh, yeah I think, you... I think sorry. Oh, sorry go
0: ahead go ahead
3: no it's like I think that's really true just like we're all very like creative people and if we can get our little fingers into something like tangible like we're just gonna, like grab that opportunity because that's how it's for me and Heather because like we're both very crafty and we're both like building stuff and like it's just really it's really fun just that's why I went into it I wanted to do like fabrication work do miniatures and stuff
0: so and none of it turns none out of you... we did
3: megatures but it's still fine
0: (laughs) so none of you had actually done anything kind of stop motion related before this experience no so did anybody you know did anybody have any fears that trying out this new super niche medium would might stray you off of like a you know because how the industry is set up kind of in Canada and Toronto and shared in colleges, specifically shared in like cookie cutters, you into television animation, like mm-hmm. boom animation. So did anybody have any fears of like, you know, skipping out for a whole year of practice and 2D to do stop motion, which is, you know, a, a bigger risk to find a career in?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I know that was the thing for me, even coming into fourth year. And there was a lot of like, um a lot of people in third year that were working on those 2d films were kind of learning on the job and learning from their classmates and you know um figuring stuff out in those moments and i found that coming into that film there was so much i had to learn in that moment and that was something i knew was going to happen i don't regret at all getting to try the step motion regardless you know
1: yeah i would say um that If anything, it ended up strengthening, um, at least for me, my my animation skills. Um, It's a completely different mindset that you have to go in with. Um, I was very fortunate, and Heather was also very fortunate. We um, both have a background in paper animation before we came to Sheridan. Um, So getting to kind of use um, the knowledge that we had from traditional, like, on paper, flipping back and forth, and then putting that into um, kind of straight away helped cultivate going back to digital and 2D and Rigged Puppet in kind of a very strange way. But yeah, at the beginning I was, um, as, as much as I personally knew that I wanted to try stop mode, that was something I was very interested in. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent like, is this gonna be like the thing that I end up going into? Is this gonna end up hurting my career chances in the future? Um, but I found that in the, in the long run, it was a very valuable learning experience.
0: Nice. Yeah, I love that. Because I, I, my next question was going to be, were there anything extra you learned that you think you got out of stop motion that you noticed other people don't have this skill set that you got specifically from like working on this film in such a different medium?
1: Yeah, I'd say you have to, you kind of develop an eye for, for detail in working in a completely different space. Um, especially like all of us were kind of involved in the boarding process, um, at least tangentially, even if we weren't like actual boarders on it. I know Stephen did a lot for that. Um, but you, you learn how to see things in a different space and you learn how that things are a lot more tangible. Um, it's just kind of like a, the more you know, the more you can apply it uh, to different things in a very surprising way that I don't think a lot of people realize.
4: Yeah, I will say one thing that was really eye-opening for me was coming into it, I hadn't really made a film that was like physical, tangible items before. Everything was always like a drawing. So you might slap like a texture onto something to add it like a little bit of pizzazz, but nothing ever had like that really tactile feel to it. And there was kind of this moment early on where we were in the design process and we'd been kind of toying with the idea of like putting a frame around the film and like we could make it out of wood and all that stuff. And we'd done some drawings and paintings. And then Terry, you did one of a dragon And like a knight in a castle and I remember distinctly being like oh yeah this is going to be made out of like you know wood and paper and pipe cleaners and whatever we can get our hands on and it's going to be like very real and physical and it was it was a very cool moment of like everything that you draw when you're at least when you're storyboarding for like Sopmo is going to be like a real tangible thing that will have like a texture and a feel so like at least even after the film I find I still like think about that when I'm designing stuff, when I'm like painting, I'm like, what what actual material is this made of? Because it, it's, it's such a cool part of stop motion to have like an actual physical puppet and a physical set and like physical lighting, so.
0: Yeah, 100%. Like what you just said is, is kind of when I'm storyboarding for stop motion, my my mind is in a totally different space because like when you're storyboarding for 2D, you can do whatever you want. But for storyboarding for stop motion, my I keep things like much more simplified and more like... Almost like layout driven, I guess. Like, I don't know if that makes sense because you, because I'm always thinking of like, what is a 3D, what can I stick on a 3D plane and like how, like, what materials can I use? And it's, it's, that's like, I'm super happy you made that observation. (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's fast forward a bit. So we all get accepted into doing stop motion, uh, the group film. And it's also the height of a pandemic. And none of us have access to any stop motion cameras studio space uh anything and we you know don't have super experience doing stop motion or a group film together like working with one another and then like the first thing we're supposed to do is like come up with a story so like uh heather and Tony, your are well heather it was your original s- story i believe right Was that correct hmm. ended up we ended yeah up it maybe- was something that like at some point in second year i
2: pitched to steven on the way home and then um uh Steven and Tony kind of took that idea and like they really dug into it and sort of built it into this thing that could actually be a film. Because it yeah. started with this idea of like, how cool would it be to just mix all these different mediums if you could tell the story of puppetry through like every, you know, every kind of um, and this idea of, like, something tactile that would be really interesting. And, um, and it was Tanya that had the idea of, like, using the mice as the assistants and using that as a way to kind of tell the story and how it would be a loop. And I don't know, it was, it was really fun because to me it's something that, like, um, I don't know, got to, like, kind of build as it was going. It was just, like, once it kind of got into the hands of, like, everybody else, right, and it became this big group thing, everybody got to kind of add a little bit of themselves into it. And I don't know, that was something that I thought was really special about it.
0: No, totally. And there's, there's so also, many levels. That, sorry, go ahead.
1: I'm so sorry. Um, I think also what's very interesting about this pitch specifically is right from the very beginning, even before it was brought to the rest of the group, it was a collaborative experience, um, which I think was something that was very important to everybody going into it, was that this was something we had to work on together. So it was, it was kind of cool that that's, uh, that that's the inception of the story. And yeah. then it just kind of kept going forward with that. And it really kept the spirit of what a group film was supposed to be and what the story that we all crafted together itself was about, was about telling stories and the power of those stories.
0: Totally. It was like this meta thing. I remember like, it wasn't my story, but I was like helping writing it. And I felt like so like internally compassionate about like these characters and like the moments that had to happen and everything. Um, Okay. So, but you came up with this story before the pandemic, essentially, just kind of based on like how cool it would be to tell a story through like different mediums and textures and things like that. and then then the pandemic happens and it also kind of, you know, coincidentally because we all had to work on this group film together and stop motion is like a very in-person thing but we're like, you know, some people are in the US some people were like halfway across the country some people were in Toronto some people were in Oakville, et cetera, et cetera so like how did this story uh, take into consideration that we would have to be stop motion animating this from like our bedrooms across the world like, you know, I, I mean... Well, I know, but I'm just wondering how you can share what what ended up happening.
3: Yeah, well, once we had kind of an idea, like Heather had her idea and then I like worked on a little bit and had an idea and then we both like (laughs) meld minds and like tried to see like how we could like make it work because it was in the middle of the summer when we were like actively working on it because we were both applying stop motion. Um, We wanted to make the story happen because it's a cool story. Those little mice and puppetry and everything um so we actually had it in mind while we were building the story that it could be two separate plots that in one of them we could like kind of spread out because the paper ones like it's a bunch of different scenes and stuff so it's easier to like spread out the play bit and then it would just be like the main puppet that would need like a home (laughs) so it was it was like the story was written with that in mind that we would have to make it like and it was part of Heather's pitch too. We did some drawings for that, like in the beginning of the year, of just like how can we build this and then send it to different people at different stages of production. So it was definitely we wrote with that in mind.
0: <laughs> I don't even. I can't think of a single example of anything I've heard of during the pandemic where like such a production came to be. Where because because there were two. There was like two subplots, or there's uh, two plots to this film. There's like the main. I guess they're both main. I don't know. Equal. There's one with like the 3D puppet characters, which you created and animated in like uh, one of your apartments. <laughs> yeah,
1: and a couple of you apartment. lived close
0: by, so you were animating that. But then, like uh, the this other plot was all paper cutter animation, which was like you know cut out and mailed to people, so they could animate it at their homes, and then you like compiled it together through after like tell me this process because it sounds crazy no you nailed it that was exactly it Yeah, that was exactly it see see, i i don't know if i mentioned but i also like dropped halfway i right before animation started i ended up leaving the project so i don't like i kind of anecdotally know what was supposed to happen but maybe you can enlighten me on the whole like challenging process and how that actually went like you know how did you go from Taking our designs that we made in Photoshop, and that's super easy to like share. To actually putting it into production and putting it together into a stop motion film.
1: So that that was um, one of the one of the strangest parts of doing this was we um, at some point realized like we have to get these cutouts perfect because they have to you know we have to have continuity to think about. And um, Stephen is actually our hero. I think he like saved the film in that regard. Um, Stephen, you should tell us about that experience because holy crap!
4: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it it wound up, our film was divided into two segments. The one has the giant puppet which lived in Heather and Tawny's living room for the entire year. And then the other was this uh, paper cutout one where we had to have all of these tiny, fine little paper puppets that would act out on the screen, which is great conceptually because it's super easy to transport paper. It's very flat. It's very compact. But then... In reality, you have to cut out like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tiny little hands and feet and stuff. So I got a, a cricket cutter, which is like a, a plot cutting machine, which you can feed, you know, uh, documents into. And it'll spit out your digital file as like a physical cutout thing. Um, so I, ha- I found a few of them, but you get a sheet and the sheet, like many...
1: Eh.
0: Oh, my goodness. That looks insane. Pretty <laughs> for the,
1: for the audio. It's like audio listeners. It's like just an entire paper just filled with intricate little cutouts. And it's the most insane thing ever. <laughs> it's like, how did you do that?
4: Well, yeah. So you, uh, I cut down these giant sheets of watercolor paper to 12 by 24. I would cut out like many, 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 many little paper puppets onto them. And then I'd sit there with a dental pick. And I had to one by one pick each and every one of them off of this sticky mat, and then divide them into bags and sort them so that each thing was like...
3: Did you also label them?
4: Yeah, everything had to be labeled because there was like backgrounds, there was characters, there was effects, there was everything. So I had like little Ziploc bags all along my thing with each character's name and like each background and everything set up. And then it all got divided. And then to get it from my house in one giant pile to everybody, uh, Diana, who's another one of the people that worked on our film, was a godsend because she drove down to my house picked up the bags and then disseminated them to everybody so everyone had their own little puppets to actually like animate with
1: But before um, they all got s- sent out to everybody, a big shout out to Kia Coeur and fam- Diana Fam, who sat down and hand painted every single one of these pieces
2: oh yeah, All God. the, the characters, all the
3: props
1: Every character, every prop, all painted by hand um, and every single one of them was painted to have continuity, so they did that by hand and then scanned them out to everyone
4: else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they yes. yeah. Every little, there's there must have been a thousand pieces of puppets, uh, and then on the other side of that, all of the backgrounds also got divided up, and I, uh, Alex Wang, and uh, Ray Ninos painted the other set of backgrounds, so there's these giant massive watercolor paintings that are all of the backgrounds of our films which are also like in you should frame
0: them they need to be framed i think so
4: too yeah i'm working on it
0: that's insane okay so uh (laughs) to sum up you uh put into the computer in this cricket cutter the shapes and it cuts them out on giant slabs of watercolor paper which you use because it's like thicker and easier to animate i guess. Um, and it's, there was a sticky film on it that you had to, uh,
4: okay. So the, the process was essentially that you get heavy 190 pound watercolor paper. There's a sticky mat, which the plot cutting machine uses to anchor the material Mm. cutting. So you'd stick the watercolor paper to the mat and then it would go through the machine. It would cut out all of the little intricate puppet shapes. So I didn't have to do any of that by hand, which was Bless. I I think we did one version or I did one version of Mona by hand to see what it would be like. By the end, I couldn't like hold the knife. Um, So it it cut out all of these little puppets and you pick each piece of the puppet. So like hand, forearm, upper arm, upper torso, lower torso, head, hair, eyes, etc. It gets divided into a bag. It got sent to Diana and Kia to paint. And then from there, it was disseminated to whoever was animating whichever character. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was a, a bit of a logistical miracle, I think.
2: Yeah. It, well, especially because you had multiple of the same character as well, because depending on the animator, um, we would sort of block off shots to be like, you would get, you know, X and X characters. So there would be multiple puppets of the characters or characters in different stages as they appeared in the film as well, so. Yeah like and to you
4: also for setting up the whole document that tracked who had what and where everything went because like that was a, a miracle in and of itself
0: <laughs> wow um i have so many more questions just random questions it was painted in watercolor
4: yeah i would wash a leaf wash and acrylic
0: wash uh, yeah <laughs> and acrylic I I never want to touch gouache again after (laughs) after having to use it in first year. So I'm impressed you use that. Second of all, how did you actually, how were the puppets assembled once they, somebody got them? Were they like little pins in them or like string or did they just sit on a flat surface and you move them that way or?
2: Yes, we tested it multiple ways and it turned out that the, um, who was the one that uh, finally decided on the animation style for the flat?
1: Um, uh, was that, that was Diana's test, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, that was Diana. She had a really awesome test. And when it came to setting up the green screen, Kia Cordelaine, and she was the one who kind of like helped do the lighting and everything to make sure everything was uniform. Yeah. So it was, um, it was, yeah, series, so there's a lot of tests that we did. Um, I remember Tani, you had some tests too as well that was really that were really really helpful. We had one that somebody tried doing it um, completely upright, um, which was it was really interesting to see what was feasible and what was not given the time. Yeah. And we ended up deciding that mm-hmm. um, green screen flat surface was the the best way to do it.
2: And so the puppet pieces would just be sort of slided above one another, very similar to how you would do say a two D rig in harmony. Um, sort of pieces just going above or below each other, and then they would just get slid around. People would use like tiny tools to kind of get them in accurate position
0: so they weren't actually attached to each other they were just kind no. of free floating on. Yeah. Nice, nice free floating and everybody had to have kind of the same camera setup at home i guess like a, you said like a like green screen like just a bristol board and then like the camera pointed directly down on it or something with flat lighting i guess
1: yep yeah um we had Akia kia did a, a bunch of workshops with um the the 2d animators to do that i say 2d but they were st- Stop motion it's so confusing the logistics of it sometimes when we talk (laughs) about it um Um, but the cutout animators um had all like they had like a big workshop and they all sat down together and made sure that everything was uniform um kia was the other production manager on that and she was an absolute godsend in that sense um very extremely organized um so it was like just getting everything kind of out in the woodwork it was incredible
0: So you were, you mentioned that you would do workshops with everybody. So you were like testing things out, learning on your own. And then if you learn something, you would be like, hey, everybody jump on a call and this is how we're going to do it. And then you teach everybody else at the same time. Yeah. Are you, were you running your own stop motion schools (laughs) for yourselves?
1: (laughs) 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 Kind of. When you put it like that a little bit, we had this huge discord server that we'd have um, things for every single different um, production pipelines like oh here's the chat for 2d layouts and stuff here's the chat for storyboarding um here's how we're going to handle certain things um and we'd hop on call we'd have weekly meetings everybody together and then each um group would have their own meetings
0: yeah i'm just wondering because like you know everything's kind of gone work from home with studios except for stop motion but it it sounds like even well, wow, I, I it, you guys did figure out how to do stop motion remotely as well, which I think is super incredible. So then people would finish their shots. I'm assuming you use drag and frame and then upload them to like a drive or something. And then you'd have to compile them in like After Effects or something like that afterwards.
1: That's exactly correct. Um, so they'd submit the, uh, we had like a, a huge kind of shot tracker in Google Docs and stuff that we'd all sort of like, here's my shot. We'd mark it off uh, as ready for um, like review and stuff. Um, I, as the animation supervisor would go in um, and I just, um, we did a lot of uh, weeklies or like dailies. And so instead of having people do the entire shot and then get critique, because of the nature of stop motion it takes a long time to do one shot. So you wanna make sure that you're um, you're getting kind of uh, progress shots and if things need to be fixed they can go back um, and redo just little fractions of the, of the shot as they go. So um, someone would send me a shot and I'd be like, oh, uh, watch out, you're missing a pupil in this. Or there's, um, there's a pop happening with the arm right here. Can you redo that? Um, we were very fortunate where um, we had a very, very talented group of uh, animators. So we really didn't have to do that a lot. Um, the, the bigger puppet had a few more, um, we, we had a a couple restarts on shots. We had one shot that we got a really, really long way through and we, we realized, oh my gosh, we have to redo the whole thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just the nature of stop motion. So we, uh, we scheduled in time for reshoots as well, which was very helpful to us. Um, especially because we didn't actually end up needing it for the cutouts. Those ended up being a very, um, those got picked up really, really quickly in terms of how they were, they were done.
0: Nice, nice. I love that you could essentially have just made this in 2D or like rigged harmony, but
1: <laughs> we actually had a teacher who was like, why don't you just do this in harmony? And we're like, it's stop no, motion. We are the stop motion film group. So I feel like that might defeat the
0: purpose. <laughs> um, one of the other questions I had just on the cutouts, you know, storyboarding, and you having your finalized like animatic, et cetera, et cetera. How easy was that to take and turn into the cutout animation? Because like you could kind of take the layout of what's already in your storyboards and just copy paste that into your cutter, no? Yeah, is that what happened?
4: Well, what in- actually ended up happening was for each shot, Um, We would take, for characters, we would take each major action they were doing and plan out, like, hands that they would use, so all of their hands were drawn out separately. Um, So the the machine can't just take, like, any drawing and then cut it out kind of thing. It has to be, like, a very specific format. Generally, it likes, um, like, vector-based images, but um, there's some pretty easy stuff you can do to make it accept, like, just black and white PNGs. So every background was painted as, like, a big matte painting that represented the, like, final look. Uh, And then it was divided into, like, black and white shapes. And then each layer would be cut individually. And then same with the characters. Like, the uh, painted, quote-unquote, like, final versions of them were drawn digitally. Then they were converted into, like, black and white silhouettes and then cut out as a black and white silhouette. Um, Uh And then from there, they were then painted to look like the digital painting, which was the same for the backgrounds. So you take a digital painting and then try to mimic it in real life. And I think honestly, like everyone did a really good job of matching the digital versions really well. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, we were also because we um, were green screening these, uh, we, that gave us a little bit more freedom to move the puppets around in space. So if it's like, oh, the, this puppet is too big for this shot, we can just take it and um, make it a little bit smaller in post and then make it fit the shot. Um, So that was a huge help when it came to compositing things.
0: So, like, I'm asking because, you know, getting proportions and layout physical space is, like, super challenging sometimes in 3D space versus, like, your 2D and your 2D storyboards. So, but it sounds like the process was actually quite fluent for the cutouts. But how was the, you know, working in the 3D space where you made this almost... Like, is it the size of a small child? I, like, how how tall is it?
1: She is. I'm just. I'm looking at her right now. She looks now. incredible, she's, though. Also, she's, like, she's can, our baby. Yeah, she's yeah. like the size of an infant.
0: If you're only listening <laughs> to this, please go to YouTube and check out what Anna is holding because it's insane. The like yeah, this, details on the on the like fringe on the on like the outfit and like everything.
1: She's like two feet tall. Two she feet was, tall. Yeah, uh, she's only from the chest up, so she is. Uh, so are amazing. you able to show that
2: part of her off? Whee! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so her internals are made of PVC piping. And so the bottom of her is, yeah, you can kind of see it a little bit. She's foam and PVC piping and um, sort of not, you know, when, for example, you're making a wired armature. We use the similar tech t- um, technique with this, where you sort of twist the wire, but a bit of a thicker, sturdier wire than you would typically
0: use. So she's completely poseable, like right yes. now. Wow. Um,
1: Um, she's a little bit weak, uh, right now because of, she got a lot of really good use during the actual filming, but, um, also her clothing is posable. Um, she's got wires running through every single bit of her, um, everything is kind of stiffened so then it's easier to work with. Ah. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, pretty much entirely able to move around. Her eyes are posable. Her mouth is posable.
0: Totally.
2: Yeah. Tell me, tell me about how you (laughs) made her hands
0: on her. Oh, sorry, ah, Terry.
1: One of her hands fell off, but this is um, these beautiful wall joint hands.
0: Oh, wow. They sound great as well. Yeah,
1: they're, they're, <laughs> get that ASMR in there.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, tell me tell me specifically about how you made the head and, and hands because, you know, fully articulated, that hand is as size as your hand.
1: Like, yeah, it really is. Maybe bigger. <laughs> I've got longer fingers, but the palms are about the same.
0: So tell me about, you know, making this life-size animatable thing that has to blink open and close its mouth pose like and for the first time because I know there were so many challenges in just figuring out how to make this how to make it even
3: that was, there was a lot of-, of of doing the summer puppet making because me and Heather did a lot of research on how to do that we spent like so much time just making the puppets and not a lot of time on the rest of it but (laughs) um, so i think we started with a little bit of a leg up for at least like information that we could find off youtube but other than that it was a lot of just like lying on the floor and crying (laughs) and you're like how how because it has to be strong and it has to be light and well and a lot of
2: prototypes a lot of like so many
3: prototypes
2: yeah we had like for example a head made out of cardboard there'd be a lot of sort of unhinged moments of tawny walking into the living room and i'd be like look look i've made a cardboard skull and the jaw moves and we attach it like this and there's a strange cardboard pipe and tony would be like no that doesn't work you know why don't we and tawny really liked the engineering on how her body was going to work and these replaceable wires in the pvc piping that was like that was uh sort of a. An awesome breakthrough from Tawny because I had these like these very broken like oh look if I put a ball on the tube here and we you know um one of them was we bought this like Halloween skull to see how we could sculpt the head and so there was for a long time this yeah, very like freaky <laughs> yeah, this cut up Halloween skull covered in plaster scene just living in the living room for a while so a lot of it was trial and error at the end of the day
1: yeah, eventually it's going to be halloween
0: anyway so you already have some props for,
1: for yeah well literally i i had a halloween party with these guys and she was there <laughs> they, nobody <well>. liked it
0: <laughs> it's it's always in, like that's part of what i love about stop motion so much it's the insane amount of like backstories and work that goes into it then that, that like nobody sees really to figure out just how to make something work for like one second it's it's just crazy so tell me about the experience of you know you made this life-size doll then you have to make a life-size layout. Like, tell me the challenges of actually making a layout around this doll in your apartment and filming it and everything. Because that, that, that's also crazy to me that you did that.
1: One thing that anybody who is familiar with stop motion or has ever animated in stop motion knows is that it requires a lot of space. And the bigger your puppet, the bigger your set is going to have to be. Um, and we actually, uh, the, the pandemic ended up working in our favor because we were no longer allowed to be in the facilities for Sheridan. Um, and, um, at Sheridan in the third year studio, it's basically a closet. It's fine if you have like, you know, um, smaller sets and you get a couple people working in there, but the size of set that we needed was far bigger than anything that we would have gotten at the Sheridan third year studio. Uh, and then- I
2: think 10 feet, 11 feet long. we ended up requiring by the end
0: of it yeah it
1: was it was half of heather's living room (laughs) wow um and another yeah it was it was a very big set and it was this ginormous wooden floor if you've seen the film it's just there's this beautiful wooden floor that's been made and that one was painted by i think it was alex and kia uh um they painted every single they stained every single popsicle stick by hand and glued it down onto this piece of paper and then brought it over to the apartment and we uh put it onto this little stage that we had and it was enormous and then we have like this little um she's in in the film she's got this little um mini stage and that had to be a certain size um and that had to be like attached to the floor and stuff and then we had like this huge backdrop behind her which would went all the way to the ceiling and even then we had to like cover some of the ceiling with black to make sure that you couldn't see any of it um yeah. and for light control you can't work in a space that has windows so it the only place that we could work was right next to these huge windows. So they got covered with tin foil and they were on the second floor so you could see it right from the street. It was yeah. going Painter in tape,
2: tin foil.
0: You'd look at outside and be like, what is going on in there? Um, yeah. Adna, uh, you just see like holes in the tinfoil with bright lights like coming through just from your set stages. <laughs> why did you decide to make the carry- the puppet so big? Like why not make a uh, super tiny puppet like the size of your hand and then just make like a little tiny stage?
2: Well, one of the reasons was the mice. Um, so her assistants are these little um, felted mice and the mice are interesting because they ended up being pretty articulate. I don't know if you have
0: one on you, uh, Anna. Oh,
1: I have There's one. somewhere. Oh, do you? I think I might have hacked her way already.
0: So these little mice, they're they are also pretty small. So you base the scale on these little mice. Yes. Yeah. Because otherwise they would have to be just minuscule to
2: be able to show up on camera. Oh, I have goodness. eyebrows. Yes. So. <laughs> but yeah, like. <laughs> we have all
3: these little
0: mice.
3: <laughs> Heather
2: made I love all
0: them. These.
2: So they're interesting because they're just too pretty much, they're too felted foam. Circles that have been attached to each other through very loose um sort of felting in the neck, and then otherwise we just sort of drilled holes into them afterwards and fed wire through. Oh wow! So you drilled a hole into the into oh. the felt just with a I don't even remember how we did it, like a pencil or you know, like and chopsticks, I think we also, things like uh, that.
1: Near the end, we had like this tiny little hand screw, hand dr- hand drill That's right. that I have, the jewelry drill. Jewel. We have like it's funny as a stop motion I, I'm artist, you accumulate a bunch of weird little tools and weird little um like craft supplies
2: yeah and the mice were really fun for that we most of their costumes were made out of like fake leathers so we had like little leather paint and stuff like that because it made them nice and sturdy they weren't going to collapse oh, wow.
1: a lot of pins
4: a lot the of pins were, the mice were something else entirely though because heather essentially assembled like all of them right
2: seven mice yeah uh
4: but the amount of felting that goes into like one mouse is insane and heather made seven so we'd be sitting there for weeks and we'd be having like meetings where everyone's talking about what's going on in the film and what we have to do and in the background you just hear like and we'd be like what is that what's going on who's everybody and And we were like what is that and then we realized it was heather because heather had to felt all of the mice for so long that there was like multiple weeks where it was just soft felting noises in the background of all of our
1: <laughs> i ended up jumping on to help um because mm-hmm. we were filming yeah. at the exact same time that we were finishing these mice which is especially with this film there was a lot of overlap between when things were being made and when things were being filmed yeah. um it wasn't just everything was made and then everything was filmed so we were like all right we got uh, an hour let's uh, let's fil- let's do some mice
3: <laughs> yeah Wow.
2: You
1: got stabbed so many times. A lot. Yeah.
2: You would hear those little tsk, 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 and the occasional like,
1: ah
0: <laughs> in my mouth my like, gets muted, you know. I mean, that's yeah. kind of fitting for the story. So literal
1: yeah. blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is crazy. And you're also doing classes like full time on the side of oh. this as well. Like this is just very full-time. So yeah. So many classes. So so how many people were involved in this film in total by the end? Eleven. Uh, Eleven. Yeah, uh,
1: not including and our mentor actors. and yeah. Um, we had and then we had um three additional voice actors. We had um yeah. our tech Aldinez and we had our mentor Mike, um, and our music guy and our music Will guy Farmer. Will Farmer. He was incredible. Yeah, um, Yeah,
0: Will Farmer is the guy who did the intro and exit music of this podcast. Oh yeah, oh really? That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was just spectacular. And um, I believe he's he's based in the UK, isn't he? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: he is. So that was just another remote aspect. All of our voice actors were down in the US. Um, mm-hmm. so that except for me, I was still here.
0: <laughs> wow, what a production! Just crazy. I like. I think this. Like you know. If you just watch the film, you'd be like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And then to learn that this is the COVID-19 pandemic made through mailing each other stuff happen. Like, it's just it's like it's I don't I'm speechless. I'm just like so impressed by you guys. So proud of like, you know, the whole film and everything and the amount of like effort and talent that you guys put into this is just insane to me. So, okay, so you wrap up the film and then you probably all cried <laughs> when <I> was done. <laughs> yes Oh, and yeah. then what? So you've submitted it to film festivals and it's it's uh doing a little circuit right now, I think. Where is that? Um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So um we went to three very huge film festivals. We got into the Ottawa International Animation Film Festival yeah. um in Ottawa obviously. We got into the Toronto Animated Arts Film Festival International, Taffy in Toronto, and we got into Spark Animation in Vancouver. Um and Music. we are, still have a couple that we're waiting on. Um but we've gotten um now that the film has been released, we've gotten a kind of a renewed interest in um its festival run so we might go for round two we'll see yeah,
0: yeah. um
1: but it's been really cool kind of getting our film out there um, and seeing the positive reception that's come from it especially because it makes it feel real you know we finished yeah. it and we sent it out into the world and we're like all right you. uh have fun out there and just it's it's kind of interesting to see it come back in the way that it has
2: especially with it being a pandemic film you know because with its release it was just sort of a very quiet online thing even with the festivals you know it would be something that kind of um a typical experience of, you know, you get to go even just with your classmates and you watch the film in the school's theater, or if it gets into festivals, you would go and sit down, you would watch it, maybe go out to dinner, you know. Um, it was a much more sort of quiet release. It was, it was this big, you know, production and all of these things happened and then it was just kind of very much so over. So there's something very nice now about it being out where it gets to feel like, oh no, we did actually make a film and it
0: is real and it's out there now and that's very cool. Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, I'm just thinking, 11 people on a group project and you're all working on one thing and you're not even really in the same room as each other. Most of the time, how did you keep everybody motivated? Cause there's not like, there's not like one director where it's like, you know, this is my project and uh, not that directors sound like that, but (laughs) it's not, it's not like a, it's not like a, you know, in a traditionally made show or film or whatnot. It's its like this big collaborative effort. And even, Tani, at the beginning you were saying, or I don't know who I was saying about, you know, the story was even a collaborative thing from the beginning and everybody kind of put their own stuff into it. Other than the tie of having this group film project, how did you keep everybody, you know, on the same path and purpose and on schedule and like figuring this all out? Because you all had school full time. You also had to start applying for internships at the same time. So putting together like, a portfolio, I know, and then working on this film and then dealing with the stresses and all the fun stuff that comes with online school and a pandemic. Like how did you ra- rally the troops essentially throughout this process?
1: Um, I'd say, I think the, the first major thing that we did was um, we made sure that everybody was on the same page for what we wanted out of the project. Um, I remember we kind of like in one of our very first meetings, we all sat down and we were like, Hey, let's all go around, we'll introduce ourselves and we will say, what do we want about, what do we like about stop motion? What are we looking forward to of this film? Like, What do we want to do? And for the most part, everybody was very much on the same page where they liked that stop motion. It's kind of creepy. Uh, They wanted to do something weird. They wanted to do something fun. Um, And it kind of just ended up being sort of the perfect project and um, the perfect group for it, I would say. We got very fortunate because to be in the stop-motion group, you have to be dedicated to even get into the group. So you have to be dedicated to stay. And there were plenty of hiccups. Um, it, was, it was a very difficult experience for a lot of people. There was a lot of burnout happening. And it's very easy to kind of um, fade into, you know, your own sort of thing when you're not meeting with people in real life. Um, but um, I think for the most part, we were very conscious about communication. Um, My role as a production manager and same with Kia, we work together a lot to try and facilitate positive experiences and positive environments. Um, We really wanted to stress that we have to work hard, but we have to make sure that we acknowledge the good work that we all do. There's no no such thing as wasted work. Um, We can always learn something from it. And as long as we're in, in communication with each other, um, and as long as we are acknowledging what we do well and what we can improve on together, it's very much a group thing. Um, and the fact that there's no central director really helps contribute to the fact that everybody has a voice in the film, or at least that's what we, um, we really try to facilitate. Some people were a lot quieter than others, didn't have a lot to say, didn't really have any opinions one way or the other. But what we um, tried to all do as a group was make sure that even if um, they, weren't, they didn't have any like you know, new ideas or anything that they they got to say their piece. What did they think of this shot? What did they think of um, the backgrounds? Did they want to contribute anything to that? Um, what's your feedback? Come to the meetings, make sure that everybody's getting involved. Um, and I think kind of like having a project that everybody was passionate about from the beginning and seeing it come together and having this sense of solidarity, being the only stop motion film group um, and learning everything together. And the fact that we were all sort of like, treading water together, I suppose, um, and helping each other swim. I think that was really important to our group's cohesion. And like I said, I don't think there was, there's no such thing as a perfect group, but for the most part, I think that we all got very fortunate to work with a group of very talented, very passionate, very driven, um, individuals.
0: Nice. Wow. That was a good, really good summary. I really like what you said about no waste of work as well, because, you know, you also mentioned that you had to go through so many iterations and experimenting, and, and it all contributed to leading towards what figuring out how to do things. So I think that's, I think that's really good and positive, yeah.
1: Yeah, as artists, it's really easy for our, our egos to get ahead of us. Um, we tie so much of our self-worth into our art um, and to what we create. So when that gets rejected, it can feel like a personal rejection. So I think um, it was very important for me and for Kia as production managers who were kind of like, making sure that everybody was um getting things in on time making sure everybody was working together to make sure that everybody knew that their efforts were valued um and um i think it was just a matter of making sure everybody knew that and understood that of themselves and of each other and acknowledged that
0: nice yeah i'm wondering you know now that the film is finished and you've all had this huge learning experience is anybody working on anything stop motion at the at the moment
1: I just finished my thesis film with a stop motion film, making its yeah, festival yeah. run. I have won a few awards for it already. Um, keep your eyes out for Diptera. Um And I also just worked with a local um, in Toronto, um, a local artist named Martha Grant on a little bit of a, a fun little music video. I don't know if I can release the details for it yet, um, but I got to animate with her on that. It's a very fun kind of project for kids. And I think as soon as it's out, it'll be, I think it'll just be really fun. <laughs> Nice to get on on a project that I've worked on two horror films now, Um, so it was fun to get on a comedy project.
0: From horror (laughs) to kids. Oh yeah. Is anybody else working on any stop motion or planning on it or whatnot, or is this experience just kind of, I did it.
1: (laughs) A little bit stop motioned out for the time (laughs) being. Stop motioned out for
0: the time that I want to do. (laughs) Yeah. So sorry, Tony, you were saying.
3: Oh yeah, I have like uh, an idea of what would have been my fourth year film um, that I wanted to do at least the main character in stop motion because it's important, which yeah. is just like, he's just a frog. He's just a frog going on a little journey doing the devil's laundry. That's
0: oh, it, I know it. exactly <laughs> what this is.
3: It's the one I pitched, <laughs> like Heather pitched um, Cantastoria and then I pitched this nonsense story. But I still think it would be fun to work on because I have brain rot. So if I have time, because <laughs> I'm still trying to work on my storyboard portfolio. Then maybe one day it will be a thing.
0: Hundred percent, yeah. I would love to see that. I I loved it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was a huge fan of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, question, I guess. Going forward in the future, would you ever try? If you're going to do stop motion, would you try to do it remotely again? Like, I'm guessing. I'm sorry. I'm guessing. I'm wondering. Was, did you open yourselves up to the process enough that you would be open to working remotely in stop motion to create something like this again? Or would you prefer to have a totally different experience and do everything with like a group of people in like a workshop type of thing?
2: That is a really interesting question. I think fabrication wise, I would love to not have to do it in my home again, mostly for safety concerns. I think having an actual workshop with professional tools would make a huge difference, you know? yeah
3: Yeah, i think like we made it work i think an aspect of making it work was the fact that we had no professional experience so we were making it up anyway um but i think there's probably like we don't have the professional experience other than you terry so we can't really say one way or another personally i think it was way too much of a mess. like we made it work (laughs) but it was way too much of a mess. probably much better having a studio and like a set space and more of a workflow
1: Yeah, Um, I agree. Having worked on a remote film, my own um, solo film, and then a film with a professional in like a studio environment, I definitely prefer the studio. I think um, the idea that a lot of the the pre-production aspects can be done remotely opens up a lot of like... um, It just it opens up a lot more um, avenues for exploration with different artists, you can get a lot of different artists on the project without having to bring them in. Um, But then when it comes to sort of like, uh, you know, fabrication, animation, that kind of thing, uh, definitely in person is better. because one of my favorite things about working on Cancer Story was um, Heather and I were the animators for the um, for the puppets, like the main stage, um, with occasionally bringing in other people on the team to help us out and do a little bit of animation. Um, but my favorite experience was getting to work with Heather in person, and we get to kind of like bounce ideas off of each other. And, and this isn't quite working. Let's try it like this. We really, I feel like we um, we really learned a lot from each other, and yeah. um, even as as professionals and as friends. Um, our relationship really, really grew, and we're still really good friends to this day.
2: Yeah. And I mean, speaking of how to stay motivated on a project, I think that was one of the things that kept me going. You know, you get tired near the end, and having that motivation of like, you know, my filming partner's coming and we got to make this
0: happen. And it really did help. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I'm, I mean, I was asking because I'm thinking, I was thinking like, <sighs> for instance, there's a huge stop motion scene in the US. And then there's some projects in BC and Montreal and Toronto every once in a while. But in Canada, they're much more sparing because and when one pops up, like, you know, I heard of a project in BC where I was like, am I going to pack up my bags and go there for two weeks and then rent an apartment and or an Airbnb and then come back like it, it, it it's yeah. crazy versus like, I'm wondering if there's a possibility to open the doors for somehow because, you know, I'm like, I'm working on a project with people in the uk right now like i've never seen them but, uh, but it's in 2d which is very easy to do but i'm wondering is there some way to open doors for more stop motion to happen remotely through this experience but also i totally appreciate the you know the fact that you enjoyed working together in a in a communal space much more because you know stop motion is a hugely collaborative medium when it comes down to it there's so much to do everybody has to have like you know just because you're good at animating doesn't mean you're good at fabricating just because you're fabricating doesn't mean you're good at set design blah 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 so like a you can be a jack of all trades but b it's so much more amazing to work with people who are super talented in what they do but then you have to work so closely together so it's i was just interesting to hear especially anna because you've worked on all kind of three um your thoughts on that so yeah
1: Um, I think. If you're gonna work with stop motion remotely, you have to make um, the, the project suit the pipeline. Um, I think yeah. with a lot of animation, that's with it. There's, it's not really um, a catch. It's not, there's not really a formula for catch all for animation. Every single project needs its own kind of um, pipeline for it. And stop motion is especially one of those, especially if you're gonna get a bit weird with it. But I think a remote film, and we actually saw this in some of the pitches where people were getting kind of weird with it. Where it was like okay well we have this very strange pipeline how are we going to make the project fit that we we have to work remotely well if we're if continuity is an issue why don't we just do a film where continuity is weird and we everything is supposed to look different we, we lean into that and there were a couple uh pitches like that were really like that or well, we <laughs> terry, do your pitch like this. yeah yeah. Pitch. yeah terry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's you my guy
0: <laughs> yeah my and, pitch was basically everybody we follow a storyline, but like the reality keeps changing. So everybody does their own thing at home using their interpretation of the characters. That was that was what I was thinking of doing. But anyways, yeah, sorry, continue.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And that that's exactly what I mean. Um, And Cantastoria, the the project could be um, work to fit the pipeline where it was like, okay, so we have these recreatable images. Everybody gets their own uh, image that's been recreated and we go on that. Um, yeah. And then we all, we do it all in comp. Um, so there there's definitely, um, there's room for it in the industry. There's room for it in, um, in art. It's just about, you have to be, we have to be very creative to make it work, which is yeah. the exciting part.
0: It's almost like you start the original idea that you have, uh, has to kind of fit what you, the pipeline that you want to create, which makes sense. Um, maybe it's kind of like one of my last questions, which is something that I am always interested in. Um, as a stop motion fanatic, but now that you've all done stop motion and professionally, you know, Sheridan collegially trained in two D and dabbled in three D and whatever. Um, what is a reason to have a story told in stop motion um, versus two D, which can be cheaper and easier and do more? Maybe Tani, if you want to start, because you mentioned you know you have this idea with this this kind of frog prince devil thing, but you said the main character has to be in stop motion. Why, why is that?
3: Because he gets, it's a frog and he gets human legs and the human legs have to be Barbie legs and it's integral. <laughs> <laughs> I actually bought a Barbie. I Correct. have the legs, I have <laughs> the legs. <laughs> it's important to me to tell the story that I want to tell yeah. that he has Barbie legs specifically. It can't be drawn Barbie legs, it has to be Barbie legs. Yeah. So that's important to me. Also, another pro to doing stop motion is at the end you get a bunch of little toys. It's like a prize for finishing your film. I <laughs> <laughs> have go. all
0: these toys. No, but what you just said is like you know <laughs> when I have an idea, I'll have an, a stop motion specific idea, and if it's executed in like two D, it doesn't it doesn't ring true to what the idea is itself. It's, but I'll have like two D. It's ideas not the same. It's like so. Motion. It's not the same. Yeah, yeah I'm wondering. It's like Steven, some
3: tactile, and it's. That's what's fun about it.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering, um, Stephen, having going through and cut out all these 2D shapes uh, forever. <laughs> what is your take on this?
4: Uh, I, I think for me, uh, a big thing is like stop motion presents like this ability to make things come to life that you just can't get in like 2D and 3D, or uh, maybe 3D as it marches like closer and closer to reality will kind of you know fill that niche, but you know, if you want a story about a teddy bear that comes to life, if you have a real teddy bear that really moves, it's kind of, it's got like that real like magic to it that I I, you don't get if you just draw a teddy bear, you know, standing up. Or like with Canta's story, a part of it was it's a, a puppeteer telling you a story with her little paper puppets. And the idea is like, you know, not only is it, oh, we've got a real life puppet that we've built that's doing the puppeteering we've got the actual like paper puppets acting and moving so it's like it adds to the actual idea like the physical execution enhances the concept totally Um, totally
0: you're stop motion animating a puppet which is stop motion animating her own puppets yeah (laughs) um but uh heather what about you you know you went through all this fabrication and felting forever and all that crazy effort it takes to make a few moments happen on screen like what is a really solid reason that something has to be stop motion and can't be something else
2: well I think there's for me I'm kind of of two minds about it and one of them would be I think as you know digital artists there's sort of a lack of connect we can have with the things that we make so on kind of like an artistic level it's this ability to be hands-on and to make something that's physical and really exists in the world Right. This idea of these like, puppets being a thing that's made, or these beautiful sets that get to be a thing that's made, something about it is so special, you know? Um, and I, th- I think the other part is, is exactly that, like, you know, this feeling of, of that, right? Um, of these like, very tactile things, then being on screen. I think there's like, kind of a new way to connect to that via story, like Anna was saying. Um, for me, stop-motion horror is something I adore. And there's something just like so inherently creepy about a doll getting up and moving on its own. Um, it just works. It works in a way that I, I don't think it could be done any other way,
0: you know? Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dolls are always creepy, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anna, how about you?
1: Um, <laughs> This is such an awesome question because animation is not, it's, it's very much the illusion of life. It is the illusion of, something being real, but it's, it's the fourth wall being um, kind of constructed in a way that we have to make things seem real that don't look real. We have to make things appear or feel in a certain way. Um, And there's always a different way that you can do that. I'm very much of the opinion that a good storyteller can make a story work in any medium, but Um, that doesn't mean that it's the best medium for that story. Um, What I like about stop motion and what I like about storytelling is that it's a way that we can connect to a different experience. We can connect to a different mindset. We can connect to different characters. And with stop motion, it is a tactile, physical connection. Whether that looks like real life or not, um, it's better than real life because it is you push your emotions, you push um, the feelings, you push um, the words and the dialogue and the characters, everything is exaggerated in a way that feels real. So we can connect to it in a way that you can't connect with real life people. Um, and stop motion is kind of every good thing about storytelling for me. Um, it, it pushes the tactile nature of our minds. Um, it makes things uncanny, and it makes things whimsical and um, strange. And it's, it's got so many applications. It just like every single part of animation has these incredible applications that we can kind of <laughs> connect with um, on an emotional level. And so that's why I think that there's sometimes, it's hard to explain because sometimes a story just has to be a certain way. And it's not a logic thing, it's feeling, it's, it's heart, it is art. And that is what we have to do as um, animators, is we have to connect a feeling that we cannot name and bring it to you as a, a viewer.
0: Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm writing all these, because I'm, I'm approached with this all the time because I'm pitching stop motion shows to studios that only do 2D and they always ask me like, okay, well, why does this have to, we'll just slap some 3D, whatever. And I'm like, no, it has to be stop motion. Otherwise it's not, it's not the same. So I super appreciate, you know, hearing all of your, all of your opinions and thoughts and they all hundred percent make sense to me. Um, cool. Well, you know, you shared, you know, why you had to make this film kind of the exceptions of how you all got in stop motion, the whole process of making this film. I'm wondering, you know, as we're wrapping up, is there anything, left that you would like to share that people listening should know about the process of this film or just your experience in making it or just you know your experience coming through school and trying out all these different mediums and what you've learned in general or just what is your favorite color I don't know (laughs) do you have any any anything you'd like left to share that you think would be interesting for people to hear Um, I know for me there was a
2: certain takeaway from the film of it being this thing that I thought wouldn't it be cool if this got to be real Yeah, you know wouldn't it be amazing if that actually existed and now it does and I think that was one of the most special experiences for me of like especially like getting to see it done and getting to see you know all these different people work on it and how it really grew from that original seed of an idea so don't be afraid to chase those wouldn't it be fun.
0: Isn't that crazy? Maybe you're you're just get. like, wouldn't this be a cool idea? And then a year later, 11 people later, sweat, blood and tears later, it's now winning awards and festivals. I think that's amazing. That's that's what I love about storytelling and animation, like personally, because you're just like, I have this random thought. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really you- is. Um, I think for me, my main takeaway was, look how awesome an idea can become when you let other people get their hands on it. I think as artists, like I said earlier, artists have a lot of ego. We have a lot of, we connect a lot of ourselves to our ideas and to our storytelling, but look what happens when you get so many other people and hearing their ideas and making them uh, work together. You get something that you yourself could never have made. That doesn't make you like less of an artist. That makes you a filmmaker. And that makes you an animator. That makes you part of this beautiful, wonderful industry that we all get to be a part of. Um, And that the fact that this was our kind of like foot in the door for that, I could not be more proud.
0: Ah, uh-huh. yay. <laughs> uh, Tanya or Steven, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to share? If not, that's cool too. I'm just just curious. Uh, I just, I, oh, sorry, you go, Tanya.
3: Nothing, I was just gonna say it was just, mostly it was just very special to me because it was mine and Heather's sort of baby. And we basically like went insane for like six months, like together in the same room and I, I, it was special. And that's my favorite part. <laughs>
0: Special insanity.
4: <laughs> uh, I think for me, it's a matter of learning that like, if you have a bunch of people who have an exciting idea and are, are passionate about it and, and driven to make something like special and cool, it, it really will end up being like special and cool. Cause we all sat down on the first day and we're like, Hey, we've got some ideas who's excited to get started. And then, you know, just like you said, you fast forward 11 months later and you got this like fantastic thing that's better than any one person could have made. So like, if you have the idea, chase it. Cause like, it'll end up being amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you everybody. It's been an absolute pleasure, you know, having you on and, uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, like, uh, I mean, I knew a lot of it, but it was also very insightful for me to hear firsthand how everything went after I left. So this has just been a really cool chat for me to listen to personally. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope for everybody listening as well. So thank you so much for everybody coming on. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah,
4: it's been really lovely.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. This was a treat. Amazing. And if you're listening and you want to get in touch with any of the lovely people that were on this podcast, I'm going to include all of their Instagram and Twitter accounts. And of course, you should watch Cantastoria because it's amazing. And I'll include a link to the YouTube for that as well. And thank you so much for listening. That's all for now. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.